Father, we, we just give you praise for what we've witnessed today and uh, so far, just a chance to gather as a family to worship you, to lift your name up, uh, or just see baptism and, and God celebrate uh, what your life change you've done and we remember how you've changed our lives, God. And God, we pray that you'd just give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning and that you'd be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, my name's Jake and I am one of the pastors here at Midtown Church and so glad to be here with you. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone that you just can tell they're way more interested in what you can do for them than they are in you personally? Those, those stink, right? Those kind of relationships. I was thought, I was reminded about that because, uh, the other night I was sitting at the dinner table with my family and Krista decides that we were talking a little bit about Advent and, and talking about what we appreciate about Jesus coming. And then she says, before you can leave the table, everybody has to say something that you appreciate, appreciate about at least one person at the table. And so I've got my seven-year-old son, my six-year-old son, my three-year-old daughter. And so they go around. Della says something cute, but really not on topic. Uh, Camp says, uh, <laughs> Camp says, Mom, I appreciate you because uh, you're making me a cookie. Enoch says, Dad, I appreciate you because you're the best dad in the world. And so I win, right? Because like... <laughs> Camp just appreciates Krista for what she's doing for him, but, Camp, but Enoch appreciates me for who I am. And so, now it's not fair to my wife. They really love her for who she is. But I was just thinking about that. Like you get in a relationship with someone, you just, you just in it for what they could do for you. We all know that there's just something wrong about that kind of relationship. And, and yet last week we started a new series that we're calling With. And the subtitle of the series is Evaluating How We Relate to God. And what we started talking about last week was this, is that oftentimes, if you take a step back and you just think about how you relate to God, you may observe what I observe in my relation with God, sadly, oftentimes, is that it seems like I'm way more interested in what God can do for me than I am in God himself. That That I oftentimes treat God as if he's a means to an end. And I'm way more interested in what he can do for me than him himself. And may I say that with sadness in my heart and like, just like, I hate that, but it's true. And I think that it may be true of how most of us relate to God. That because we have uh, I guess, a, a low view of God's innate worth. We oftentimes focus more on what he can do for us than, than really how great he is in and of himself. And that really changes the way we relate to God. In fact, this series 
It comes out of a book that I read this summer called With, and I have the book up here. It's by an author named Sky Jathani, and you can pick up this book at the resource table in the, in the lobby if you're interested. It's a really great book. We're not making any money off of it, nor is the author making any money off of it, but we, it's just a book that I read this summer. It's really stuck with me, and I decided uh, during Advent season this year, when we remember uh, Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, coming to live with us. I thought, well, this is a time of year. Let's just talk about how we uh, spend some time evaluating how we relate to God, because this is the amazing truth, and we got to talk about this last week, is that God created us to relate to him in this close, intimate, personal relationship. And a relationship that mirrors the relationship that he enjoys within himself as the Godhead, the the triune God, where God forever and ever for all of eternity has been in perfect communion, perfect relationship with himself. The Father to the Son and the Spirit, the Son to the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father and Son, enjoying himself forever and ever and ever. This beautiful relationship of with each other and that God created us to enjoy that kind of relationship with him as well. And the word that should describe, in God's eyes, the relationship that we have with him, the word that would capture it best is the word with. That we're with God. He's with us. Which is is just absolutely amazing that God would want to relate to us to that degree. And yet, as I said, the sad truth, and Jathani points it out in his book, is that we oftentimes opt for something other than with when it comes to how we relate to God because we aren't as interested in being with God as we are in what God, what God can do for us. And so we end up trying to find ways to relate to God, to try to get him to do what we want him to do for us. And it changes everything in our relationship with him. So we talked last week about these four postures that Sky Jathani points out in his book of these four relational postures. And he uses a different preposition for each one of them. He talks about uh, it's, it's like life when you live life under God or life over God or life trying to find life from God or life for God. And I, won't, I don't have time to like go through those and, and capture them again. You can listen to the talk from last week or pick up the book to kind of get an overview of that. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to just spend time talking about two of those, pressing down further on two of those, specifically life uh, under God and life over God, and, and specifically looking at what drives those postures. Because what those have in common is that both of those postures are driven by uh, something that we often treasure way more than we treasure God himself. Specifically, control. I don't know about you guys, but, like, again, sadly, that's true of me. That I often would opt for having more control in my life than I would for more communion with my God. Like if given the option of, okay, I can have a greater sense of control. And someone was asking me this, not in church, because I know the right answer, right? But it, if someone was giving me the option of, I could have more control, or I could have a, a sense of greater intimacy with God. Like I have to think, like, would I really choose intimacy with God? Or would I not opt for having more control? I value control. I treasure control. 
And that's not a new thing. I think that's something that is pretty universal in all of us. And it's been that way from the very beginning. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, as we saw last week, God in Genesis 1, verse 26, when he's created mankind, he says, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And he tells us that he's creating us, that we would rule over the, the world, rule over his creation. And in context, it's with him in this relationship with God, in this deep intimacy and communion with God that he created us to represent him, to rule with him. And yet, just two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, you see mankind opting for greater sense of control instead of communion with God. In fact, I just want us to look at it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll just read it. It's up on the slides as well. Genesis 3 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Just pause there and just notice, like this is, this is the serpent casting seeds of distrust in the heart of mankind about God. Can you really trust God? Is he really trustworthy? Is he really good? Is he really looking out for you? Or is he holding out on you? Is he keeping you under his thumb? So here's your opportunity to be like God, to be God's, to have more control. Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was uh, a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. As in the very beginning, created to experience deep communion with God. Mankind opts for more control at expense of being with God. Treasuring control over communion, they sin and they take of the fruit to be a God instead of to live with God. And we do that all the time ever since then. We don't, sadly, we just don't fully trust God. And because we don't trust God, we want more control. And we live in a scary world. I mean, that was highlighted again this week, wasn't it? And so we want, if there's anything we can do to try to get more control, man, we want that. And, and we recognize that the world just seems out of control at times. And when it comes to things that are important to us, whether with our kids and them staying healthy or growing up to be, you know, success in life and whatever that looks like, when we want, if we have a chance to exert more control on that, man, we would. Or with our job and making sure that it's secure and that we're moving up the ladder, like if we can have more control on that, then we want control of that. 
or whether it's trying to get the girl to say yes to you that you're asking out, we'd love to find a way that we could get control and make sure that that happens. Or you're going to take a final. You want to make an A or at least pass, right, students, this week? Hey, and and well, I hope you do well. And so you just, you know, you're like, well, if I can have more control, I want control. I want control. We want control. We want control. But here's the thing that you see from Genesis 3 from the very beginning is this. That when we take a, when we move towards trying to get more control, that movement is always a movement away from relationship with God. When we take a step towards control, it's always a step away from living life with God. And that that was a sin of the garden motivated by distrust of God's goodness and his heart for us. And we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it shows up for us differently than it showed up for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Our movement for control doesn't often look like trying to eat some fruit from a forbidden tree that talked into by a serpent, right? Now, for us, it looks a couple of different ways. Jathani talks about a couple of those in his book, and I just want to reiterate them from that we talked about last week. Namely, it can show up in two different relational postures towards God. And the way that we uh, try to control God and how we relate to God. He refers to these one as life under God, and the second one is life over God. And just a quick review, and I want you to evaluate if you see this true in you and how sometimes you relate to God, but it shows up in this, that we often will treasure control over communion by God, with God by, one, seeking to try to uh, manipulate or appease God through obedience to God. This is what Jathani would refer to as life under God. And it's what, this is what the concept is. The, the concept is that we put ourselves under God's thumb, thinking that we have to live a certain way, obey a certain, certain, his certain laws, perform certain religious rituals. That if we do that, though, then he won't squash us, but instead he will be appeased by us. And if, he, if we appease him by our obedience and our religious rituals, then God, therefore, is indebted to us to cause him to have to act on our good goodwill or on our behalf. So are you following me there? It's this idea. It's like, okay, God, I will obey you in order to make you obey me. <laughs> And the irony of life under God is that it's really a, a, a way to try to get control over God. And I don't know about you guys. And gosh, I, like I feel, you know, exposed as a, as, a, as a sinner up here talking to you about this. But like even as a pastor, like I'm no different than you guys. And like I do this. And I hate it, but I'm guilty of it. Like even this week in preparing this message, I found this thinking coming out. Like I'm having, like what I'm trying to get to in this morning's message is a big concept. And I've been having all week long just struggle and trying to put words to it. And just know what to say, what not to say. And who knows if it's going to actually work out or not. But there were times this week where I was thinking, God, I, what if I, I just, maybe I just need to have another quiet time. Maybe I just need to spend some more time in in the Word. And and it wasn't because I want to be with God. 
It was because I want the message to come together. And I was like, if I do this, then God will have to come through for me to make the message come together. And, and I'm just like, wait a second. I think that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's not good. And yet there it is in me. Think about Steve Johnson, Stevie Johnson. I don't know if any of y'all remember back in 2010, the Buffalo Bills had a wide receiver drops a pass at the end of an overtime game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, a pass that he should have caught that would have won the game for them. And after he drops it, and then later that day, he gets on Twitter and he tweets this. And I, I don't know, I've got it in my notes. I think y'all can, y'all can read it, but it's, um, you know, not, not to pick, not to make fun of him, but it's a great illustration. He says, I praise you 24 seven. And this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I will never forget this ever. Like This is life under God. God, I obey you. I worship you 24-7. Therefore, you have to work in a way that's for my good. You should have made me catch the pass. You should have had us win the game. If you don't come through on your part of the bargain, then I could be mad at you. And guys, one thing that just destroys our relationship with God is if we buy into it, uh, this idea that this is what our relationship with God is like. This is not how God designed us to relate to him. We recognize it when God doesn't come through on his side of the bargain. Because see, God won't give us control. We don't obey God to get God to obey us. He won't cooperate with that. And if you think that that's what your relationship with God looks like, and that that's how God relates to us, and he doesn't come through, then you'll run away from him. But you need to hear, that's not what relationship with God is like. That's not how he created us to relate to him. See, that is a sin of the garden in a different manipulated and in our understanding. We're opting for control instead of communion. Instead of really being with God, obeying him and worshiping him because we love him and we trust him, we're obeying him and worshiping him because we want to control him because we don't trust him and we have a higher view of ourselves. So that's one way it shows up. There's another way it shows up, and, and Jathani talks about this in his book as well, and that's, that's this life over God posture. And this is, this is a, a, a similar in that you're trying to control God or, or actually get control, but it, it's different in its approach in that instead of trying to obey God and do these rituals to get God to have to obey you, instead you basically dismiss God, either saying there isn't a God, that's a way of taking a life over God posture and just saying I'm the one that's in control, or within Christianity a way that it shows up is that you treat God as if there's like you're, he's distant, that he's given us these laws, these principles of how he's designed the world to work, both natural law and revealed in the Bible, godly principles of how he's designed things to work, and that you decide, okay, I don't want a relationship with you, God. I don't really care about you. I just want, you, I just want to use what you've revealed— to help me figure out how life works, and as using my rational mind, I will put that into practice, and I will use that to make world the uh, gain control, make the world work. Okay, now I'm sure that that's a little bit abstract. What does that exactly look like? Well, I think the best picture of it for Christianity is finds is fleshed out in and how we approach the Bible. I talked about this briefly last week. But oftentimes within Christianity, what we do 
functioning in this life over God posture is that when we approach the Bible, the main question that we are coming to the Bible with, the grid in which we're reading God's word with, is what does this say about me and what I must do? And that you're, you're not looking for, you're not spending time in God's word to be with God and to know God and to commune with God. You're looking for, okay, what, what has God said and what principles can I use to figure out how life works? And then I'm going to go apply those principles to make life work the way I want them to. And therefore, I'm in control as I use God's principles the right way. Contrast that to someone who primarily approaches God's word with the question of, what does this have to say about who God is? And what he is like. So it comes down to the question, is, is the Bible ultimately a book about you and what you must do? Or is the Bible ultimately a book about God, who he is, and what he's done for you? And the answer, friends, is that the Bible is ultimately a book about God, who he is, and what he's done for you. But that will drive you to a relationship with him, and it will drive you to treasure him when you read God's word that way. But if you don't, and you just read it through the lens of the Bible's about me and what I must do, then it's just this, okay, look at the principles of life. Put them into practice. Let me have control. I don't need you, God. I don't need a relation with you. Why have a relationship like with an auto mechanic if you have the manual of how to fix the, the car itself? You don't, need the, you don't need the mechanic. You've got the manual. And if we function with the Bible in that way, you're living with a life over God posture. You've dismissed God trying to have control as you apply his principles. I'm guilty of that too. What do you do? That's how we, we, from the very beginning in Genesis 3, that's how we're wired to relate to God. Gaining, you know, valuing, tre- uh, treasuring uh, control over communing with God. How do you change that? Well, simply put, use a biblical word here, we got to repent. It begins with repentance. Repentance means changing your mind. And you recognize, okay, I need to change my mind. That I need to change my mind about what I treasure. That I'm going to treasure communing with God, being with God over trying to gain control. I'm going I'm to change my mind about what I treasure. And I'm going to change my mind about distrusting God and trusting me, myself, more, and therefore trying to get control over God. I'm going to change my mind, and, I, and I'm going to look, and I'm going to turn the other way. I'm going to begin to trust God and treasure God. But that's simply put, isn't it? It's as easy to say that from a stage. What does that actually look like in real life? What has to be true of you for that to begin happening? Well, I could talk on and on about this, and I don't have a ton of time, but here's, here's what I have to say. You can boil it down. The way that you can begin to treasure communing with God over trying to have control is if you begin to trust and treasure the one who's really in control. If you begin to trust and treasure the one that's really in control. But here's the truth, friends. Even though we're staggering all the time trying to get, striving, trying to get control, control for us is an illusion. We will never have the control that we long to have. No matter what we try to do, no matter how we try to manipulate God or dismiss God or use his principles, we'll never be in total control. We'll never be in control. So here's what we have to do. Identify that. 
and then choose to quit striving for control, but instead surrender control. Which is a way to describe what faith is or what trust is. Trust, faith, is surrendering of control. Think about a trust fall, right? I won't do it here because there's no one here to catch me. But to fall, I would have to actually surrender control, trusting who's going to catch me. You won't surrender control if you don't trust who you're surrendering control to. And guys, we don't fully trust God. And that's why this is so hard and why we don't relate with God the way he wants us to relate with him in this with relationship. But we need to. We need to trust him. Here's the truth. He is trustworthy. Then we go to the Bible and we look at what God tells us he's like. One of the great metaphors that you find traced in the Old Testament through the New Testament is that God tells us that he is our good shepherd. Now, this metaphor loses, its, I think, a little bit of its power because we you know, are city folk, and we don't really get this idea of a shepherd and how they take care of a sheep. But yet, I still think when we read these passages in the Scripture, there's something that moves us. I mean, I think about one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, this is what we're told. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I always thought it was amazing that David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall shall not want. Put another way, another translation is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Like, how could you say that? Well, when God is your greatest treasure and you have him, then you don't lack anything else. He talks about here this idea of walking through the valley of shadow of death. Where you have every right to fear. But he says, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because God, you are with me. As the way to surrender control to God comes down to what you believe about who is with you and if you believe that he is with you. Do you really believe that God is with you? And who is he? See, we have a low view of God. And one of the reasons we don't trust God is because we have an inaccurate and and, and wrong view of what God is like. And we grow to understand who God is. Then we will begin to treasure God. And we we just won't even be able to believe that who is with us. And then we'll begin to believe his promises that he is with us. And that will enable us to surrender. I love this passage, but I love this passage even more when you skip to the New Testament and you see what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Then Jesus in John chapter, chapter 10 is speaking to a crowd, and, and any of them familiar with the Old Testament would have immediately thought of Psalm 23 when he began speaking. Because here's what he says. Verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not 
own the sheep, sees the wolf among a uh, uh, wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And Jesus is saying, Hey, you Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. That's me. I'm the good shepherd. And just like what David was talking about, when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I, I don't have to fear any evil because God is with me. Jesus is saying, when, me, I will stay with you. See, I'm not like a hired hand. When the evil's coming, when the wolf approaches, I'm not running out because I don't care for the sheep. I care for the sheep. How much do I care for the sheep? I've come to be with the sheep. And then I will now lay down my life for the sheep. They will die in their place. I will die in your place. You will die in my place. That's how much he cares. As this is what God is like. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd that we can surrender control to, control that we don't actually even have, but the idea of having control, we can surrender that to him, trusting that because of who he is and that he is with us, we don't have to fear. We can trust him as we treasure him. And we can experience life with him instead of trying to control him or dismiss him, just use him. Because that's the relationship God created for us to have, created us to have with him. 